want to talk about Romans chapter 5 uh, in verse 1. The scripture reads, Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. So that is a very, very strong statement that Paul wants to make is that uh, because we have been justified by faith. And so therefore, since we have been justified by faith, what, what does he say follow? Peace with God uh, through our Lord Jesus Christ. And uh, you, don't, you don't have to put this uh, up, but in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 14, Paul tells us, for he himself is our peace. So it's very important that you and I know that Jesus himself is our peace. Not that he just gives us something called peace, a good feeling, right? But he himself is our peace um, who, uh, who made both one, that is Jews and Gentiles, and has broken down the middle wall of separation, the middle wall of separation. So there is no spiritual wall or natural wall between Jews and Gentiles because when we come to Christ, we are part of one body. Now, why am I saying this? Let me reiterate this Romans chapter, uh, well, Romans, the book of Romans, chapters 1 through uh, the end of the book, what I believe that the Lord has said to me and revealed is that we are going through the same things that the church went through at that juncture, and we're to see what the uh, warnings were and the encouragements were to them. They are still applicable or applicable. So I have to say applicable, all right? You allow me to do that. <clears throat> they are applicable to our lives as well. So you're going through the same things. And so you, we don't have to make the mistakes that they were making because we have all of this as an example. We have their lives as an example, their victory as an example. So verse, uh, uh, let me read uh, Romans 1 again. It says, therefore, having been justified by faith, Having been justified, declared righteous is a very simple definition, being uh, declared righteous uh, by faith. Uh, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. And again, peace is very is simple as well. P uh, the definition for peace, it, yes, it's like tranquility, you know, um, uh, peace between people, harmony rather between people. But it, it is also... That which was broken has been restored, that has been joined together. And that, it's a medical term, irene, which means that that which was, was severed or broken has now been joined together. And then uh, the Lord God has joined us together with himself. That's what the import is here. And he says, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, uh, through whom, through Christ, we have access by faith into this grace in which we stand. So we, our access is granted uh, by faith. And so I, we've shared that this faith is not meritorious in the sense that I have now these wonderful things from God because I have all this faith. He says, and so the scripture wants to let, cause us to know that we have faith because of grace. That is, nothing you and I had to do with it. God gave us the grace, and that's how our faith came. So then all of us, have access to faith. Now, he says, uh, through whom also we have access by faith. We also have access to faith. We have access by faith into the grace in which we stand. And I think that, that he, in standing, it has to do with having strength or authority and, and knowing purpose that you stand there. You hold your ground. And so he didn't say sitting, but he says stand. And there are places he will say sitting 
but you and I stand in faith. That is, uh, we stand immovable. And this is what I believe the inference is. Uh, and not only that, now Paul keeps giving, taking us from one superlative to another. That is one degree of, of um, a powerful uh, expression of our victory to another. One, and, and you, I want you to notice that. He, he goes on and on and on like that in this chapter. It's not to just to be uh, wordy or, or loquacious, wordy, or it's not at all to be impressive with human intellect. But he is trying to show us, trying to find uh, our words that will describe what God has done for us. And that's what I want you to take away from this. That is, Abraham was justified by faith. We have been justified by faith. And somebody a number of years ago gave a definition of justified by saying, it's just as if I had never sinned. So you have a life just as if I had never sinned. I thought that was pretty good. Yeah. And so it says, and, okay, we stand in this grace, and rejoice in hope of the glory of God. We jo- uh, rejoice in hope of the glory of God. And this hope has to do with expectation. It's not like we use hope. For example, if somebody says, uh, hey, can you uh, uh, come to my function uh, on Thursday night? You say, well, I, I hope I can. You just mean, you don't mean I expect to. You mean I wish I might not come now. And so we, we tend to take our vernacular, our uh, vocabulary, our manner of speaking into the, the Bible, the Word of God, and we can't do that. This is biblical hope. It means you have an expectation of God. And, and this expectation is not just of, of God, uh, it's, but it's... Uh, in expectation of God doing something good to you and uh, something that brings you joy. Um, and so then you have hope in the author of hope, who, who is God himself, Jesus Christ. All right? And it's our foundation. So he talks about um, we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. And, he, and what he says there is the full expression of God. And that's just what he's talking about, glory being... Uh, the full expression of God, uh, his splendor, his brightness, um, his magnificence, his excellence. So this is what we rejoice in. So you have to know who God is and what God has brought to you so that you might rejoice in that. So it's very, very important that you and I know what God has brought to us. He has brought uh, an otherworldliness to us. That is, he has brought uh, the spiritual realm into our view, into our grasp. So that's what he wants us to, to know. And then we can walk in victory, walk in faith. Walking in faith is to walk in victory. Walking in faith is not, uh, I'm, I'm, I'm hoping God will come through for me. Like, I'm wishing God will come through for me. No, but it's knowing of a certainty that God has been good. And so, and, and again, when we talk about the grace of God, you know that very well, that we're talking about the unmerited favor of God. It's like God just giving to us out of his own goodness. And so, uh, in his generosity. So then, we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. And Paul goes, and not only that. Now, for me, that was enough. But he says, no, it's not enough. I'm going to give you something else. And not only that, but we also glory in tribulations. We glory in it. And so, then if God is, God's glory is magnificent, is is full of brightness and and, uh, uh, blessings, then also, he says, then we're going to uh, we're going to also glory. We're going to be like God 
is what he's saying. We're going to have, have expressions and, and responses like God has. So it's sort of like uh, a father, and of course a mom as well, but a father seeing his son move about, and he just beams with, with, with gladness and joy. And I, if I may use this word again, just because I, I'm looking for a better one, he's just so proud, so blessed by the accomplishment of his, that boy or that girl. And he's so thinking, oh, that's my, that's my girl there, or that's my boy there. That's what God does. And we, because when we, we, when we use that, when we are, are um, uh, glorying in tribulation, God says, oh, that's what I like. It's not that God wants you to go through difficulties, but you and I must go through difficulties really to know who we are. It, because we, don't, we can quote, no weapon formed against me uh, will, will prosper or can prosper. And, uh, but we have to experience that. And so God wants us to experience that. And so that, therefore, he is not delivering us from everything that we cry out, deliver me from. So we, we glory in tribulation. That is, uh, when we have oppression, affliction, uh, distress, or the pressing against us of the world, or, or maybe bills, you know, or relationships, they're pressing hard against us. Then he says, no, we glory in that. That's when we really look good. Sometimes I've looked a little bad in it. Though. Yeah, I've looked a little bad in it at times, you know, and I'm, I, but I'm learning to look good in it. All right? So we glory in tribulation, knowing, that this is something he says, knowing that tribulation produces perseverance. Perseverance, that is steadfastness, constancy, endurance in the midst of hard times. Wow. So, so then you learn that hard times are not a detriment to you. You learn that hard times and, and these tribulations are, are not a, an obstacle or a resistance against you. Why? Because you have the Holy Spirit living in you. Therefore, whatever is trying to resist you has to move aside. That's what he is saying to us. Mm -hmm. You know, this is not like health and wealth. You know, everybody wants health and wealth, but you can lose all of that. But this is something you can't lose. And so this perseverance, this ability to remain constant, uh, steadfast, and, and show, exhibit endurance, he says, produces character. And he's speaking of godly character. I know you've heard this on Sunday, you know, but let's hear it again. It produces character. And character brings about hope again. It brings about an expectancy. So now you have the character of God. You are like God. You are like God. And uh, you are one with God. Now you have this expectancy of God like you never ever had. Why? Because you've been through something with God. You know, when we talk of fellowship, uh, uh, Sister Kemp used to tell us that it was fellows in the same ship. Right? Fellowship. Fellows in the same ship. And so you and I, we're, we're fellows in the same ship. So God wants us to go through all these things that God himself experienced. God knows, you know, when the enemy came in. Of course, the enemy is nothing to God. But Jesus Christ, the Son of God, came down and walked as a human being like we walk and endured everything that we endured. Insults. I mean, you made these people, and they're insulting you. You know, you made these people, and they're doubting you. You know, and, uh, but Jesus went through all those things. And he was successful. Amen. And so he says, now, the reason that God brings us fully, squarely back to hope is because, because hope does not disappoint. So your expect, expectation of God does not disappoint. What does disappoint mean? You will never be dishonored. You will never be disgraced. 
You will never be put to shame. Yeah. And, and um, so you will never even be repulsed, as the, as the Scripture says. You know how the, maybe the young people use this word, shame down? You'll never be shamed down. You don't have to look down, drop your head. So um, let me, uh, okay, yes. Now, hope does not disappoint because the love of God, the love of God has been poured out into our hearts by the Holy Spirit who was given to us. So the, the, the uh, love of God has been generously poured out in our hearts through the Holy Spirit who is given to us, was given to us. Isn't that big? Okay. We're still going, going on. I want you to stay with me. So then Paul says in verse 6, for when we were still without strength, we had no ability, no real abilities to resist sin, to do what God uh, wanted, what God approved. He says, in due time, Christ died for the ungodly, for the not godly. So then we are in a, a very blessed position because God died for us when, while we were still sinners. I mean, nobody dies, gives his or her life for uh, worthless people, if that may say it. But don't feel bad. We're going to bring you out of that. But we were all worthless people. Somebody said, don't we have worth? That is absolutely false. Because if we had had worth, why did Jesus come? If there was something good in us, why did Jesus give his life? No, there was nothing good in us. There was nothing good in us. Absolutely nothing. Nada. All right? And so then, but Jesus died for the worthless, uh, those who were not godly, ungodly. And then Paul goes on to explain by saying, for scarcely will a righteous... Uh, for scarcely for a righteous man will one die. He says, even if somebody's really, really righteous, it's hard to find somebody who will die for him. And, um, and yet, maybe for a good man, somebody would even dare to die. You know, maybe they say, man, you, you know, you're a good person, and uh, I'm, I'm, I've been bad all my life. Uh, I'm going to go and get, die instead. He said, maybe. He says, but God demonstrates. God demonstrates his own love. I like Paul didn't say his love, but his own love. And when God demonstrates his own love, he's demonstrating his own self. Because John tells us that God is love. Not God has love. God is love. But that's big. And so he demonstrates his own love. So this is um, huge for us. We need to know that God died for us while we were still sinners. You and I haven't been good people all, of the, all the time. And he says... Um, much more. And then he goes to uh, verse 9. But much more. Now, how can you get much more? But Paul said he finds much more. And this, I want you to grasp this because it can encourage you when you're dealing with things and stuff. You know, when you're dealing with that, it will encourage you. It will encourage you. It will make you better. It will make you go through when you feel like maybe the rug's been pulled from under you or you've got that sinking feeling in the stomach. You know, when something just happened, it shouldn't have happened. Much more then, having been justified by his blood, we shall be saved from wrath through him. So, so then Paul says, we have been declared righteous by the shed blood of Jesus Christ, and therefore we shall be saved from wrath through Christ. So, so he says that you and I will never experience the wrath of God. Even in our weaknesses, uh, the, the, they will not prevent us from uh, our expected end. You know, he says that we will never experience the wrath of God. Never, ever. Never, ever. And so I know some find that very, very difficult to believe, but it's the truth. 
As a matter of fact, we have a saying in this world that if it's too good to be, be true, it's not, or something like that. If, you know, don't, if it's too good to be true, it's not true. Don't believe it. But biblically, it's, it's almost like it's too good to be true, but it's true. You know, this is true, that we get something for nothing. We get, you know, as I've said to people when they come to be saved, you know, you come to be saved and you, you say, God, I'm a sinner. I admit it. I'm a sinner, and uh, I need a Savior. I, I receive Jesus because I believe Jesus Christ. And God gives you eternal life for that admission. That admission, God gives you eternal life. Because it, the Bible says that if you would, uh, would, would uh, confess Jesus with your mouth, believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you shall be saved. Not you might be saved. You shall be saved. That's big stuff. And so Paul wants the believers to know that. Because when you're going through difficulties, you're going through trials, all your intellect will not help you. When you get a bad report from the doctor, your intellect cannot help you. You have to believe that God is faithful, and God is faithful. Amen. He's faithful, full of faith. <laughs> you know, he has this thing called faith. The, the Scripture says that when you and I are faithless, and there's nobody in this house, nobody under the sound of my voice online or here, who has not at some juncture been faithless. But you know what happens? When you are faithless, he remains faithful. Because why? He cannot deny himself. He cannot deny who he is. He is the faithful God. So, so you need to know that as you walk through life, as you walk through this life, because there are a lot of contradictions against us. All right? Um, verse 10 says, for if when we were enemies, we were reconciled to God. We were reconciled to God when we were enemies. That's big. We, we, we were not some nice people. We were reconciled to God. Then uh, he says, we were reconciled to God. I'm sorry. We shall be saved by his life. If we were when we were enemies, we were reconciled to God. We shall be saved by his life. And so that means that you and I have been brought back to God um, through Jesus Christ. Then Paul says, and not only that, but we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received the reconciliation. We have received the reconciliation. And I, I, I told you uh, in the last message uh, that I'm recapping that reconciliation is the Greek word. It's one of the few Greek words that it's easy, easy for me. Zoe is easy for me, of course. But uh, it's katalasso. It means return to favor. Uh, be reconciled to someone, to receive, to be received into favor, to receive one into your favor. Uh, it's from the word kata, K-A-T-A, kata, to change mutually. That is to compound a difference, to make apparently conflicting things compatible or consistent, to make conflicting things. God is holy and righteous. We are not and he, he, he makes us, brings us into this oneness, makes us compatible and consistent with his character, with his holiness. I, I just think that's too big. I think that's just too big. And, and, and so Paul tells us that, um, let me read this again, uh, verse 11. And not only that, but we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received the reconciliation. 
we have received the reconciliation. He says that we're, we're going to be saved from wrath through him. In verse 9, we'll be saved from wrath through him. And um, so when we are saved, <clears throat> the, the word uh, saved is soso or sodeso, sodeso. Like soso is what it, it appears to be. It means to keep safe, to keep safe and sound, to rescue from danger or destruction, to rescue from injury or peril, to save a suffering one from perishing. So I, I, and again, I want to just point this out because um, I have been right, uh, rightfully accused of believing that, that Jesus Christ is the author of eternal salvation. And the Bible says to all who obey him, and to all who obey him is not the, the I gotcha. You know, it's, it's the caveat, you know, that I, I gotcha, because it says to all who obey him. I cannot obey God in my own strength. I obey God because of what he has done. I obey God because of his grace. I obey God because from grace came faith. And then, I, and then I, as I kept walking in faith, I began to stand in faith of the hope of God. And so the expectation that God remains who he is. And so you have to understand that. And when you understand that, you begin to walk successfully in this life. And, and that when things happen that aren't favorable to you, you don't think, well, God has abandoned me. You cannot think God has abandoned me. And, and I think some of us have doubted God. I know I have doubted God at times in my life. And then when God does something so miraculous and powerful for me, then I, I, I give myself, take myself on a guilt trip. I don't deserve it. No, you don't deserve it, DG. <laughs> you know, but God is good. He's not human like you. Yes, God is good. And so, no, you don't deserve it. So just because you don't deserve it doesn't mean that God disqualifies you. He doesn't. He's an amazing God. And he wants us to know him, know him in depth. Because I, I can look all over this, this house, and even online, I can imagine those online, and that every one of us has failed the Lord, but the Lord has never failed us. Everyone. You know, Paul says that we would be saved by, by Jesus' life, and, uh, and that, that's the word zoe, which is the absolute fullness of life, and that life which belongs to God. Wow. And uh, th th I, I, I wouldn't want to try to impress you because I'm not a Greek scholar. I study the Greek, but I, I get back to the English as fast as I can. <laughs> but also through Christ, um, uh, through uh, the Father and the Son, um, it, says, it says this uh, Zoe life belongs to God. And through him, it, it calls the God the hypostatic logos, the logos, and to Christ in whom the Logos um, put on human nature. So the Logos, the, the uncreated life, uh, the Word of God, the eternal Word of God, that's what he brought to us. And so we find that there's death in Adam, death in Adam. So in verse 12, let's look at it. Verse 12 says, therefore, just as though, as through, rather, one man's sin entered the world, that is, through one man, sin entered the world, and death through sin, and thus death spread to all men. Why? Because all sin. And we may find that very difficult to understand, but let me give you an example. If my dad had died at 19, there was a terrible disturbance in the city where he was, and he could have died at 19, uh, I would have died too. 
my, sons and, uh, my son and my daughter would have died, and there would be no grandchildren. So when you and I were in, we were in Adam's loins when Adam sinned. So therefore, we were sinners too. It's very, very important that we parents, especially fathers, dads, it's, it's very important that we comport ourselves well and, and not think that we can live any kind of way and then our children will turn out fine. All right? In Hebrews 7, verses 9 and 10, uh, the, uh, the writer of Hebrews verifies what I'm saying. Or actually, I got it from him anyway. Uh, it says, even Levi, who receives tithes, Levi, the Levitical priesthood, paid tithes through Abraham, so to speak. For he was still in the loins of his father when Melchizedek met him. And this is uh, in Genesis when uh, Abraham had gone to rescue Lot because Lot had been taken by these, these kings. And um, uh, when, uh, when uh, Abraham got back, the, he, uh, he uh, uh, paid tithes to Melchizedek, who was a priest. And the, the Scripture says, without father or mother, without genealogy. And I think what that basically means is there's no human record, but he was a priest, and he was a priest unto God. And he was symbolically, it was like he lived forever, so he was like a representative of Jesus who lives forever, who did not have a beginning uh, in eternity. He's, he's always been. He, he had a birth as a human, but that was to come in and save us, to rescue us. And so he shows us that Abraham paid tithe to the greater. So it's like saying that when you and I tithe, when we're tithing really to the one who lives forever, Jesus Christ. We're tithing to him. We're not tithing, as it were, to some preacher. Amen. All right. I'm a preacher, but I still have to say that. I had to say that. Verse 13. For until the law, sin was in the world, but sin is not imputed where there is no law. And so then that means, as I've given often the example, so if there's no law, there's no transgression. So God, God brought the, the law in so that this transgression, sin, might, might really be obvious and we might see who we really are. <clears throat> For example, as, I, as I've often said, if there was no law about stop signs and uh, you and I w w drove uh, in an intersection and just kept going because there's no stop sign and an 18-wheeler hit us, smashed us down into the dirt, we're dead. Even though there was no law and I didn't break the law, but I'm still dead. And that's the way, way mankind was. And so um, uh, he says, for until the law, sin was in the world, but sin is not imputed, charged to your account where there's no law. Verse 14 says, nevertheless, death reigned from Adam to Moses. See, death was still in charge from Adam to Moses. And he mentions from Adam, the first man, to Moses, the giving of the law. Okay, he gave the law. Even... Uh, Death reigned even over those who had not sinned according to the likeness of the transgression of Adam. Uh, Adam, who is a type of him who was to come. So t Adam is a type of Christ. And in, in, in that, Adam is the federal head of a whole people group, a whole civilization, all humanity. He's the federal head. So he, so he is the first Adam. Now, Jesus is, I would like to say, never the second Adam. He is the last Adam. And he is the last Adam, and he is the federal head of a whole new humanity. So you and I, Jesus is now our federal head. Why? Because if anyone, uh, if anyone be in Christ, he's a new creation. So you're now a new creation. So the Bible is very deep about these things. And Paul wants you to know that you have been brought out of that old into the new. 
All right, so, so you got to be excited about being in the new. So I've got a new federal head, the last Adam. There won't be another one. Uh, but now uh, there's also blessings because he is the second man. He's the last Adam, but he's the second man. And then there's a new man, which we are, the new man. You see what Jesus has done. Cannot be undone, everybody. Cannot be undone. And then he says um, in verse 15, but the free gift that is uh, the grace gift. It's a grace gift. So the free gift is not like the offense that is uh, Adam's sin. For if by the one man's offense, many died. Listen, many died. And, and so the universalists really get this mess, mess, messed, up, mixed, messed up and mixed up. So he says, uh, for if by one man's offense, many died much more. Now, he's bringing you out of the category of death and destruction and peril. He says much more. I love this much more that Paul talks about much more, much more. Like a lot and then more on top of the lot. You know, I gave you the example, I think, last time uh, you're sitting down to maybe, I think, maybe I said a 20-ounce. That's a huge steak. A nice ribeye, best cut. And, uh, and then they give you, uh, the, the waiter brings you that, and you think, boy, I'm going to dine. But then he brings you the best rolls, or he brings you the wonderful green beans, and, and brings you maybe some potato salad, brings you, or maybe a big baked potato with all the, 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 the butter and the cream, and, and then all that. And then there's a big cherry pie or apple pie waiting for you. You say, wait a minute, I can't eat all that. Well, just get started, you know, right? So you and I cannot comprehend all that God has done, but let's get started, all right? And so he says, much more, the grace of God and the gift of the grace of the one man, Jesus Christ, abounded to many. Oh, I love you. And, and, and uh, in Romans 5, 15, it says, uh, but the gift, that is the, the grace gift, this is what I just read, it's not like the trespass. It's not like the trespass. What Christ gives contrasts with what Adam did, his trespass, his false step. So what Christ did was something more essential and really big. Now, listen, listen uh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to rush through, and I'm going to get done, okay, tonight. And if we have to recap uh, the last part for the next one, we'll do it. Verse 16 says, and the gift, that is, of righteousness. The gift, uh, we talked about the grace gift. Now we're talking about the gift of righteousness. And the gift, that is, righteousness, is not like that which came through the one who sinned, for the judgment which came from one offense resulted in condemnation. So everybody was condemned. Everybody was con a condemned sinner. But the free gift, this, this is amazing, this free gift uh, which came from many offenses resulted in justification. This is amazing. What God has done by giving us this free gift of righteousness, give us a gift of grace, the gift of righteousness resulted in my declar God's declaration that I meet his approval. Why? Because I have faith in Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is the one who has brought us into justification. We're justified because of our faith in him. And remember, your faith is not meritorious. It was the gift of God. Amen. And so... And so when this says that um, it was resulted in justification, I have a note here. That, that means that you and I stand uh, constituted, as it were. We stand constituted as just before God, innocent before God, as though we've never sinned. Let's look at verse 17. For if by one man's offense death reigned through the one, this is very big. It would deserve more time than I'm giving it. 
uh, for if by one man's offense death reigned through the one, much more, there he goes again, much more, those who receive abundance of grace, God didn't just give you a little tinkle of grace, abundance of grace and the gift of righteousness, listen, will reign in life through the one Jesus Christ. So just like, just like uh, one man's offense, death reigned, now God has brought us out of that realm, and he says, now because the abundance of grace that God has given to us and the gift of righteousness, we will reign in life through Jesus, through the one Jesus Christ. God saved you to reign in life, to like be a king, to be a ruler, to exercise kingly power. That's what that means. So you and I are not, well, I'm just a worm. You know, in the wrong context, that's a bad thing. In the right context, it's good. You know, being a worm as opposed to being a snake. Being a worm, you step on and just squash him. A snake bites your back. So, so in that one context, it's good. But in the other context, if you don't see what God has done for you through, the, through justification and the declaration of your righteousness, then the devil is going to go fishing with you. All right. Let's look at verse 18. Therefore, as through one man's offense, judgment came to all men, resulting in con condemnation, even so through one man's righteous, uh, one man's righteous act, that's Jesus, the free gift came to all men resulting in justification of life. I love the way Paul reiterates that, reiterates that. So, so God has given us this free gift that is the justification of life. For as by one man's disobedience many were made sinners, so also by one man's obedience, that is Christ's death on the cross, many will be made righteous. The many means they stand constituted as righteous. That's who you are. That's who you are right now. He said, but I had a bad thought. That was a bad thought. Dismiss it. Repent. Go on. That's how it is. And so uh, let's look at verse 20 uh, and 21, and we will uh, end this evening. Verse 20 says, moreover, the law entered that the offense might abound. That's why the law entered. So we have to understand the law. Nobody can keep the law. They're, they're well-meaning brothers and sisters who are, who are trying to be law keepers. And uh, they, got, they, they get their little hammock, as I said, yarmulke, as I said, right? Yeah, they get their little thing and put it on their head, and they get them a shawl. I'm not talking about real Jew Jewish people, but I'm talking about those uh, Gentiles who think that they have to become Jewish to, to find merit with God. You know, that's not the case at all. He says, the law in it that offense might abound. And nobody ever kept the law. No one ever kept the law but Jesus himself. Yeah. Jesus is the only man. Uh, what did the brother John Brown send us that information that, uh, that the guesstimate is that we've had 117 plus billion people on the planet since God created it. 117 billion and only one kept the law. That shows you who we are without Jesus Christ. All right. And so he says, but where sin abounded and, and sin was abundant, grace abounded much more. So the grace of God is so powerful and so so potent and so for us it says god says i love you and it, you all you need to do you you repent of your sins believe in your heart that my son rose from the dead and i'll give you eternal life that's so big and so this grace abounded much more so that as sin reigned in death now listen sin reigned in death. That means sin was the big boy. 
everybody, even with, with Elijah bringing somebody back, the boy back from the dead, he died again. And when Jesus touched that coffin it, in, in the place called Nain, N-A-I-N, and at, at, at mom's only son, she's a widow, and that boy raises up. Out of the, but wouldn't that be amazing? You know, we, we could empty churches like that, couldn't we? You know, people just run out of the church and somebody raised that, come out of that cast. But the boy got up, but he died again. Lazarus got out of the grave after four days dead. Four days dead. Later on, we find, find that he was sitting down at the dinner that they threw for Jesus. They threw for Jesus, you know. And they had a big dinner at Simon's house, Simon the leper. And they had a man who had been cured from leprosy. And then you had a man who had been dead sitting down there talking with God, Jesus. Talking with God. It's a, it's a good picture of us. That's where we are headed for. That's what we're destined for. So I want you to get that. Let's walk through this life. Let's do what Jesus says to do. Now let me say this. He says, so that as sin reigned in death, even so grace might reign. So we, we need to show the grace of God and not becoming complicit with anybody in the world system. You know, that's how I am. I can't apologize for it. We, we have to stop that. There is nothing good in the world system. I didn't say in the world, in the world system. Listen, so sin reigned in death. Even so, grace might reign. God wants grace to reign, to rule through righteousness, to eternal life through Jesus Christ, our Lord. That's where we are. I'll be back in just a minute.